you would please open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. Matthew 27. This is God's Word. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas! They answered, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, 
They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with white vinegar, wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and All that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, 
We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Those of us who have grown up reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures, worshiping the Lord, this is very familiar. But it should never cease to amaze us. And it should never cease to be painful to hear about the suffering of our Lord. The passage begins with the story of Judas, who was seized with remorse. He felt badly about what he'd done. He knew he'd done the wrong thing. That wasn't as if he wasn't warned. It wasn't as if he didn't know. But suddenly, after he sees Jesus condemned at trial, he has remorse. He knows Jesus is innocent. He goes to the religious leaders, the chief priests and elders, and he says, I've done a terrible thing. I don't want this money. And they said, well, that's your problem. They didn't say, oh no, you did the right thing. He was the enemy of Israel. He's a bad man. He's a deceiver. They knew, just as Judas knew, that Jesus was innocent. They didn't care a bit about his innocence. They didn't care a bit about the truth. All they cared about was trying to preserve their power. That's why even after the resurrection, when they find out that he did what he said and conquered death, they don't repent. They say, well, let's see. We've got to cover this up. Okay, here's what you do. And they told the guards to lie. So Judas threw the money into the temple and went out and hanged himself. A tragic end to a tragic life that up until then had looked like he was a success. He was one of the 12. He had gone out on mission. He had prayed for people and folks had been healed. God had worked even through him because God honors his word no matter what. God's word is true. Well, he hung himself. Matthew spares us some of the details we see in other Gospels. But if you notice the response of the religious leaders, as they try and decide what to do with the money, the chief priests, verse 6, picked up the coins and said, 
Let's see. It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That looks like a very good thing. These guys, you see, want to be sure not to break the law. Oh, well, this is blood money, so we can't put it in the treasury to spend the way we do the rest of the money that comes to the temple. Oh, we'll buy some real estate and announce that we have bought a place for the burial of foreigners. We mustn't break the law. They're total lawbreakers. They have just condemned a man they know to be innocent, but they don't mind that, because that was vital to their agenda. Anyone who says, I don't understand how God could send people to hell, is clueless, utterly clueless. The miracle is that he would let anyone into heaven. Meanwhile, verse 11, tells us about Judas, tells us about the chief priests and elders, and then it says, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, says, you need to be careful to speak the truth, to confess the truth, as Jesus did while standing before Pontius Pilate. Jesus didn't have a lot to say while standing before Pontius Pilate. Again, check the other Gospels. You'll find he said a little more about the nature of his kingdom, but very little. Everything he had to say to Pilate could be boiled down to this statement, and that is, he is the king. His kingdom is not of this world. And if you look at what happens as the book of Acts unfolds the spread of the gospel, it is always the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. What what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. The devil doesn't want to hear that, but it's true. It's true. Hallelujah, it's true. That is wonderful. That means we're not on this battlefield where the spiritual warfare is real, hoping for a good outcome. Jesus Christ has already triumphed. He is Lord. Hallelujah. If you know him, you can live without fear. Doesn't mean painful things won't happen. They will. They do. What it means is the outcome is already guaranteed by God. He isn't just saying, I'll fix this. He's saying, I fixed this. When Jesus was before Pilate, He didn't have to try and talk his way out of anything. He simply declared the truth. He is the king. And his kingdom is secure. 
Jesus is not running for office. He's not trying to see if he can build a good, you know, ground game and get folks out there and get them organized and get them motivated. And, you know, he can pull this thing off if, if we'll just cooperate. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a fact. Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. We don't operate trying to make things happen so that God can be victorious. We live in the light of his victory. And so, Pilate's wife had a dream. Again, it's interesting how God gives all these people warnings before they make their colossal mistakes. His wife sends a message to him while he was sitting on the judge's seat. He's sitting right there. It's the moment of decision. He already knew it was out of envy they'd handed Jesus over to him. And so he gets a message as he's sitting there about to render his decision. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. God warned her in a dream. And she tries to warn her husband. But, verse 20, the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. And he was the kind of ruler who was ruled by the crowd. He was the kind of leader who said, uh, those are the people I'm supposed to lead. I better get out in front of them. We have a world full of people today led by blind people who don't know where they're going. They're just trying to stay in front of the pack. It's not a new phenomenon. If you don't fear God, you'll fear people. So, Pilate knew it was the wrong thing to do, but he tried to absolve himself of responsibility. He washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I have nothing to do with this. Okay? My wife told me not to have anything to do with this. So I'm going to have nothing to do with this. It's not on me. It's on you. It's your responsibility. And the people said, yes, that's right. We take responsibility. They had no idea what they were saying. They'd been told what to say by the chief priests. The higher up the chain you are, the greater your responsibility. Then you have the mocking by the soldiers. Matthew, again, only shares some of what happened. You read the other Gospels. It was even bloodier and worse than this. And then they take him out to the place of the skull. They sit at the base of the cross watching him as he dies. It wasn't 
just a form of execution. It was a form of torture. It's easy, if you're a Roman soldier, to kill an unarmed man. You can do it in a moment. You've got a sword. But the goal was not just to kill Jesus. It was to torture Jesus, to humiliate Jesus, to annihilate Jesus, to make him a nobody. The plaque that Pilate had ordered for the top of the cross said, in three different languages, lest anyone miss it. King of the Jews. The religious leader said, don't say that. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. Because it was the truth. It was the truth. He is the king. They sat there and watched as he was dying. And the crowd passing by made fun of him. Imagine. The chief priests and elders mocked as well. Satan using the mouths of others to hurl insults at him as he's dying. Jesus cried out in the words of the psalmist, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But if you read the psalm, you know that Jesus knew the end. It turns out well for the Messiah. Even though he endures this horrible suffering, he wins the victory. And so, when Jesus yields up his spirit, something utterly unexpected and inexplicable happens. In the temple, there was the holy place. And you had to be, you couldn't just be a a common worshiper and come into the holy place. That was a place only for very special Ritual ordained by God and carried out by the priests. And the priests didn't all go in there together. It was a rotation. But then there was, at the end of the holy place, there was the holiest of holies. That was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was the place where God's presence was manifested. Only the chief priest could enter that place. And he could only do it once a year. And he must come with the blood of sacrifice to put there on the ark. No one else could enter, ever. Suddenly, when Jesus died, That curtain was torn in two. It was not a curtain like 
we sometimes put up here for weddings. It wasn't a curtain like you might have in your home to cover the window and block out light. It was a thick, special curtain. And it completely blocked the way into the holiest of holies. A reminder to even the high priest that the presence of God was off limits or you'd die. But when Jesus died, it was torn from top to bottom. What happened? God had opened the way into his presence. Jesus had told his disciples before this happened, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the way is open. The sacrifice was made. Jesus had paid the debt in full. And those who come through Jesus are made one with God forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said it before, but he didn't just die so you and I could be forgiven. He died so that he could come and live in us and we live in him. In him we live and move and have our being. He is the life. He doesn't just enhance our life. He is the life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, after he dies and this happens, Matthew's the only gospel that tells us about this massive earthquake and the fact that people came back to life there. That was not their resurrection. It was, as with Lazarus and the son of the widow of Nain, it was a resuscitation. God brought them up, but they're not still walking around giving testimony today. We're going to have one here next month. One of those guys who, you know, no. Resurrection is permanent. This was a resuscitation. God brought these people out of the tomb as witnesses to the fact that something had just happened that was unlike anything in the history of the world. Because now redemption has been purchased. The price has been paid in full. And the way has been opened into the holiest of holies. Well, not even knowing about that fact. The guard simply sees what he does. This professional executioner who had seen lots of people die saw something here that he had never seen before. And he said, wow, that is really amazing. No, he was terrified. Please see that. Verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. 
Matthew doesn't tell this part, but we need to know that in order to facilitate the death, when it was decided we've got to call it a day pretty soon, let's get them down, in order to make sure they're fully dead, they were straining for every breath They'd have to push up in order to get a breath because of the way that crucifixion makes you hang. You can hardly breathe. Every breath is a struggle. And so they would finally, when they were ready to finish them off, they'd come by and break their legs. And then they couldn't push up anymore. And they would suffocate. And then they could take them down from the cross. But they didn't do that with Jesus because he had already yielded up his spirit. We've got to make sure. So what do we do? They speared him in the side in order to be sure. And when they did, what came forth? Blood and water, it says, indicated the separation of the fluids there. And the fact that he was dead. That's why they did that. They knew what they were doing. Again, these were professionals. They executed people for a living. So they made sure Jesus was dead, and he was. If you know anything about history and you think that Roman soldiers didn't know how to kill people, again, you're clueless. <laughs> you have to be going, I don't see it. I don't see it. Those who suggest the swoon theory or any number of other lies from the pit of hell, it just they may have PhDs, but they are utterly ignorant of the facts that can be established through secular history. And they're ignoring the inerrant, perfect, testimony of God's Spirit through his people. So, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, comes to Pilate, and he asks for the body. And he takes it and he buries it in his own tomb. He's going to at least show some respect The disciples are all confused. They don't understand. This was not what they had in mind, even though Jesus said it was going to happen. But they were allowed, Joseph was allowed to bury him. And he rolled the stone over the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary watched heartbroken. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, this deceiver said, after three days I'll rise again. Now please notice this. I had a PhD, I think from Harvard, is one of my professors, who tried to suggest 
that Jesus never really explicitly said that he was going to be crucified and rise again, or his disciples would have been better prepared. The chief priests knew that Jesus had said he was going to rise again on the third day. This is, how can you be so ignorant of the text? I'm restraining myself. Why do scholars have to come up with some, you know, I'm not sure that really, I mean, there was a guy who made news probably six years ago with his Scandinavian fellow. I'm half Norwegian, so I can laugh at them. Scandinavian scholar who was saying that, I, I don't think really that it was, uh, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Why? Buddy, are you that old? You were there and you said, I don't think those guys were thieves. There just has to be some new look at it. It's happening this year. People who make their living trying to come up with a new idea. Preachers who have to have some novel insight. No, read the Gospels and believe God's word. This is God's record of what happened. And we need to believe it. So Pilate said, okay, we'll arrange for some soldiers to go and guard the tomb. Make it secure as best you can. You're right. We don't want anybody saying that he rose from the dead. The problem is they were guarding the outside of the tomb. They're trying to make sure nobody got in. Didn't occur to them that someone was going to get out. Ben Hayden used to say it was an inside job. <laughs> Jesus conquered death. Amen. Glory to God. We serve a risen Savior. We're going to celebrate it. But I want you to know, it's not just a matter of academic interest. The fact that Jesus rose again means Jesus is alive. He's alive right now. You can talk with him. And you need to listen and obey him. Jesus lives and reigns forever. And those who follow him as Lord will reign with him forever. Satan's days are numbered and he knows it. The demons who Jesus confronted before all this happened said to him on occasion, have you come to torment us before the time? Why would they say that? Because they know what's ahead for them. Let me tell you something. You're either on this side or you're on this side. There is no neutral ground. Are you following Jesus or are you still a prisoner of the kingdom of darkness?
cry out to Jesus. Ask him to save you. He will save all who call upon him. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us. Help us this day as we remember the sacrifice that was made for us. Help us to yield everything to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.